Welcome to Holding Down the Fort, an award-winning podcast show dedicated to curating knowledge, resources, and relevant stories for today's military spouses so they can continue to make confident and informed decisions for themselves and their families. Because let's face it, we know who's really holding down the fort. I'm Jen Amos, a Gold Star daughter, veteran spouse, and your host for Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the award-winning podcast show, Holding Down the Fort. I am your co-host, Jen Amos, also Gold Star Daughter and Veteran Spouse. And as always, I have my amazing co-host with me, Jenny Lynch Troop, who is an active duty military spouse of 12 years now, mom of two, mental health advocate. We always talk about mental health, and I think today is not going to be any different. So Jenny Lynn, (laughs) welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, we already spent like 10 minutes offline, 15 minutes going on now before we actually started. So I was like, oh man, I should have secretly started recording. But anyway, that would be so rude if I did that. But let me go ahead and bring on our incredible guest today. Oh my gosh, he is just, he's just been a part of our military community forever. He was military spouse, military family member, dual military and veteran. We have David Tharp, also the CEO of Project Healing Heroes. His website is projecthealingheroes.org. David, welcome to the show. Thank you all so much for having me on. Yeah, I just feel like we already covered a lot already, but I thought I'd start with an icebreaker question. It's a new year. How's the 2021 treating you so far? It's exciting because we got to go to Roatan, my wife and I and kids, and take a little bit of a break, which was nice because I'm ready for this pandemic to be over with. Yeah, I think we all are. (laughs) (laughs) We all are tired of this pandemic life. And as much as I love podcasting and using this as a way to socialize and stay connected, it'd be nice to connect with people in person as well without this anxiety of having a mask all the time and not being able to breathe and just this weirdness or being outside, but being like six feet apart. It's just interesting. David, as I mentioned, I'm really excited to speak with you. As I mentioned at the beginning, you have been part of this military life for so long. So any opening thoughts on that? Like, could you believe, like when you look back at your life and where you're at today, could you believe like how much you've been part of this military life? You know, that's so funny of a question because that just means I'm old. No. <laughs> I mean, just, maybe, maybe even seasoned is maybe a better word. There you it's go. Funny. They had some kind of celebration at the Air Force Academy and I was, I think I was the oldest person there. <laughs> and so I got to cut the cake. It was kind of like, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Actually, going back in, uh, uh, what is it, in five days to do my active, uh, my uh, reserve time at the Air mm-hmm. Force Academy. So been an IMA out there for about 12 years. Um, before that, I was in San Antonio and then Dallas. So, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, I guess the most wild ride, of course, was when I was deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan mm-hmm. in 2010 and 2011. Um, so my job to basically identify anybody that got killed, whether that be military, wow. civilian. And I ran 28 countries medical assets. And it was try- it was a challenge because of the comms part. When you work with so many different countries, we take comms for granted in the United States. We mm-hmm. mostly speak the same language. We have computers, we have internet, text, email. And yet when you go into theater, there's a lot of more challenges, especially when it comes to communication and Unfortunately, I'm not multilingual, so it made it for interesting times, to say the least. Mm. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, Jenny Lynn, I just saw you slightly nodding, so I thought I'd check in with you, see if you had any initial thoughts. 
my husband did a tour in Afghanistan too. It was the Western portion. He was in Farah 12 and 13. And so just as you were talking, it just reminded me of all the things I have heard him say. One, his gratitude for his Afghan interpreter, because he would have (laughs) not, he is, my husband is a communicator for the Navy. And so his whole job there was to communicate. And then I just think about like all the other thing that we don't necessarily always have in the forefront here is the intermix of the good and the bad guys. Like we have, you know, Westerns where it's very clear, like this is the good guy, this is the bad guy. And I think we here in this country kind of still hold on to that. And over there, it's like somebody's uncle is not such a great guy, but also has a lot of money. So does some good in the community. And it's a Mm. very weird. So when you start talking about comms, like not only are you looking at the language barrier and the cultural barrier, like you're also looking at like, who does this go to and what am I saying and how do I, and it just reminded me a lot of the many conversations my husband and I've had since that deployment. And with his, his Afghan interpreter actually got an SIV and lives about two hours North of us. And so we see he and his family quite a bit. And it's really fascinating to me every time we get together with he and his wife and like hear about what it was like growing up there and just all that very mix of communications and things. You know, when you said that, it, it you know, it, there are so many stories that I think people experience both in the military and their family members, which is, you know, I, I ended up writing four books post-military. We could talk about any of that stuff that you want, but it isn't about me. And mm-hmm. I want it to be very clear. It's about speaking to the audience and what they've experienced and what they're hearing and maybe find some hope and encouragement in the process. I ended up writing a book. And one of the first ones was entitled, well, it's going to be entitled, You Can't Make This Blank Stuff Up. <laughs> and I won't say what that word was because it might get edited by you know, whomever. But I ended up having to change the name. We were in Vegas at the time. And, and my, my wife said, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. I got a laugh. I said, yeah, well, what happens in war doesn't stay in war either. Mm-hmm. And that was so it ended up being a title of one of my books. And it's just literally, I wrote two to three page chapters about just every possible thing that happened from pre-deployment to deployment to post-deployment. And I wrote it for folks who either don't know what it's like in the military and would like to get an idea or for family members and even professionals. Some folks just really don't know. I ended up doing the two hour PowerPoint slide talk for the top VA officials Mm. in the U.S. And literally what happened was half the audience was just in tears and the other half were just stunned. I never knew what dropped the mic at that time, (laughs) but I literally dropped it and walked off and people were just staring. And so it's one of those things that, you know, for the people that have deployed, they would probably understand and get that because there's so many stories, the things that happen, you just can't even fathom what goes on. I'll just share with you one quick one just so that it might kind of lead us into some things if y'all are okay with that. Yeah, please. Okay. So when I was deciding where to deploy, I was working for the VA at the time and I wanted to deploy to a war zone because I wanted to know what Mm. it was like for the people that I work with, period, unconditional. And of course I'm, well, one of my, I have a few degrees, but one of them, I have a master of divinity also. I wanted to really ask God to give me wisdom and really pray about if I'm going to do this, I want to do it completely wholeheartedly, go Mm. all out. So I had a choice between Kabul and Kandahar. So I, I picked Kandahar because everybody in Kabul was, well, a lot more higher ranked than I was. And I figured they were a whole lot more protected in the green zone. Mm. What ended up happening, though, was when I made that decision, there is this thing called a JDOC, Joint Defense Operations Center. And I'll be careful what I disclose because I don't want to get in trouble. 
But I will say <laughs> that inside the JDOC, it's pretty much the holy of holies, if you've ever heard of that. Mm. I mean, it is so well protected. It's unbelievable. One of my good friends who was a lawyer and I were looking at, well, let's say some comms that I can't discuss. And what came across just put me on my knees. What it was, was, and this has been documented, one of the Afghan pilots inside that JDOC where you cannot get in. And we trusted, literally took out his weapon and killed all nine Air Force officers. Oh, awful. I could not believe it. Now, I was trained also in an earlier life mm-hmm. when I was at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia. And, and that means I trained with a lot of high-level people that are very, very good. And they have this thing where you can be in the top 2%. Well, I got that. I know how to shoot really well and I'm pretty smart. And so things worked out really well. And so I'm really good with weapons. I don't even think I could have stopped this guy from doing that. Mm. But what it meant to me was every time I give this talk, I list out the names of those nine individuals. And the reality is, had I made the choice to go to Kabul instead of Kandahar, it would have been my name that would have been listed. And so that makes you step back and really, number one, appreciate the service and the sacrifice that people make. But even more so is it just reminds you how short life is and you want to take and use every moment that you can to make a difference in the lives of people. And so that's what Project Healing Heroes is all about. When I came back, I knew that I could make some changes in the VA, but I really knew that there was no way I was going to be able to make the magnitude of changes that I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, I ended up creating Project Healing Heroes to do just that. Yeah. You know, maybe this is just my husband, but he just doesn't like the VA in general. Like he does, he just doesn't want to go there. I mean, he he tried going to getting a therapist at one time and they immediately wanted to give him antidepressants. He's like, no, I'm going to go to a shaman in Mexico instead, which he did, by the way. And, and that literally changes life. That's why we're married. Long story for another time. But thank you, first and foremost, for sharing your background and just talking about that experience. And then here we are, here you are today, you know, kind of being the change that you want to see because in the VA, like you mentioned, you can only go as far as you could. And I think that's the beauty of like nonprofits is being able to be the additional service to something that's already in existence that maybe doesn't have the funding, maybe doesn't have enough bandwidth to handle, let's say our veterans in this case. And so that's why nonprofits exist. I even know with Jenny Lynn and what she does at the mental health clinic, it's like, it's so great that, you know, what she does there and that mental health clinic exists because again, the VA can only do so much. The government can only provide so much. Awesome. So David, with Project Healing Heroes, I really like, so what you do is you help heal the invisible wounds of your trauma. And I'm wondering if it comes from that time when after your redeployment, you quickly learned that you suffered from many of the same invisible wounds of war that others struggled with. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Denial I don't know, is awesome. What, it... what are you saying here? Yeah, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're right. That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's true. And the fact yeah. is, I think the more that folks come forward and just be honest about it, look, yeah. I have a doctorate. I have three master's degrees. I'm trained at the highest level. You know, it's not about the degrees and stuff like that, but I worked in a trauma level one center for years and years. I worked in hospice for eight years. Mm. I worked in the Federal Bureau of Prisons for nine. So I had this whole history and I actually had the audacity to think that I was normal. Now, that's really brilliant. You know, a psychologist wow. actually thinks he's normal, but that, that's <laughs> totally a joke. But the truth was, is that when I came back, I didn't think I had any problems. Now, 
my wife, who is, of all things, a psychiatrist, which I begged her to pick anything in medical school other than psychiatry, said, nope, 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 you're not going to manipulate me. I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I have to do to make sure of it. And I just laughed. I'm like, okay, I would never do that. And so she's funny. like, yeah, whatever. And so the thing was, is that when I came back, it was one specific night that I remember. And she woke me up and I'm like, why are you waking me up? And she's like, well, number one, you just punched the headboard. And I'm like, I did. And I'm like, well, I wonder why my hand hurt. She goes, that wasn't really why I woke you up. It was when I was flying through the air that I decided that maybe I should wake you up because when I hit the ground, that's when I woke up. And I'm like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah, you pushed me out of bed. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And so we kind of started talking about it. Of course, I go to the VA because that's where you're supposed to go, you know, to get help. It's often difficult because when you're the guy who's, so I was the program manager of the third largest PTSD program in the VA. Mm. I know the research. I know what works and what doesn't. And that's another reason why I needed to start the nonprofit. For those that are technical, if you want to take a look at Steenkamp's article in 2015 and 2020 in the um, JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, you will see that two-thirds of the people who actually do the treatment protocols for PTSD in the VA do not get better. They still have the diagnosis. Mm. Two-thirds. And that doesn't even account for all the people who won't go to the VA, like your husband and things of that nature. (laughs) So, So here I am, trained at the highest level, just been from Afghanistan. My wife is telling me I'm having issues. What do you do? Okay. So I go to the VA. And after two sessions, the therapist is like, um, what, you're all good. And I'm like, I'm cured. And they're like, nope, not even close. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? What's going on? They're like, well, um, there are three reasons why I can't help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, okay, what's that? And the first one is, well, you're in the military and I'm not. I don't even know half the things that you talk about or the acronyms you use. I, I just don't even know what you're saying. Wow. I'm like, okay, well, I can't really fix that. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's number two? And they're like, well, you disagree with the treatment. And I'm like, well, that's because the research shows it's not really effective. And they're like, you know too much. (laughs) Well, that takes us to number three. I'm like, oh, great. Can't wait to hear this. And they're like, yeah, you disagree with everything I say. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that's because if you've been through all the hell I've been through and you know what we go through, you wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing or saying what you're saying. And they're like, and that's why I can't help you. And at that point in time, I went to my wife and I said, hey, good news. I'm done. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it uh, didn't go real well. Oh, man. So, and so that's how the journey started. We ended up going on vacation in Hawaii. And I was really down because you don't want to do anything that's going to hurt your wife or your, you yeah. know, your loved one. Um, you know, and I was very short. I didn't know how my temper had really gotten away from me. And what here's what happens. I realized what it is as a psychologist is that when you go to war, you start comparing everything to life and death. Hmm. So you know what? Things that happen, people make things to be a big deal on social media. And you're like, look, dude, shut up. You know, what is wrong with you? You think that, you know, that's a big deal when people are over there serving our country and they're getting killed and you have the audacity. So when I mm-hmm. flew back, besides the medevac flight that I was on, I ended up on a commercial plane. There was a guy in first class who was berating the flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm ordained. (laughs) I wanted to kill him because I was like, dude, what is your problem? And I'm like, yeah. And all I could think about was my anger has gotten out of control. And I'm to the point now I want to take people out. And Mm. I'm like, that that doesn't sound good. (laughs) And so in the end, what happened was I couldn't get help from the VA, didn't know where to turn, probably felt very much like your husband, you know, like this is a joke. Yeah. So when we went on vacation, my wife finally said, I think I have an answer for you. 
And I said, great, what is it? And she goes, I think you need to write down your thoughts and work through it yourself. And I'm like, you graduated in the top 1% of all psychiatrists in the country. And that's the best you have. And we kind of laughed about it. And I'm like, are you being serious right now? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, don't talk to me. <laughs> and so, but you know what? If you're a good husband and you're smart, you listen to your listen wife. To, listen to, I was about to say. <laughs> you do. And so I, I did. And so I just, what I did was I started writing down, if I were going to treat myself, what would I do? Mm. Hey everyone, Jen Amos here, just taking a quick break to let you know that this episode of Holding Down the Fort is brought to you by U.S. Vet Wealth. U.S. Vet Wealth is the company that I am very proud to be a part of, alongside with my husband, who is a West Point grad and Army vet, Scott R. Tucker. So here at U.S. Vet Wealth, we provide bold financial education and flexible financial solutions for our career military families. You can get an idea of what I mean by that by downloading the first three chapters of my husband's book, Veteran Wealth Secrets, for free at our website, veteranwealthsecrets.com. In his book, he brings to the forefront of his discussion what the military and most veteran financial advisors usually gloss over as they focus on military retirement plans. The moment that you leave the military is the biggest opportunity of your life, and you're going to need money for it. Even though this book is titled Veterans Wealth Secrets, the book actually offers universal lessons and wisdom that military spouses can relate to and who knows, maybe even nudge their service members to read. And it actually gives entrepreneurs a more flexible and profitable way to invest their revenue. A couple of testimonials that we have received for Scott's book. This is by Air Force Colonel Tom. So Tom, thank you for this testimonial. He says, Scott pulls the curtains back on things that we, active duty members, just accept as truth. And he questions the status quo with insightful and thought-provoking ideas. This book is the evolution of Rich Dad, Poor Dad that our generation and culture needs. You may have a different outlook on success and not agree with everything, but you should read this book. You'll regret it if you don't. Thank you, Tom, so much for that testimonial. Once again, if this description intrigues you, you can actually download the first three chapters for free by visiting veteranwealthsecrets.com. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get back to the show. And so in the end, what happened was I started writing things that I thought. So what I did, and I'll make it short, is I took a military training and concepts and applied those to psychological principles, including spiritual issues. And I packaged them all together in a way that people could understand it and relate to it. Mm. Because the fact is, is that if you've been there, you get an idea of what it's like. And so when you use military training and concepts to apply those same principles to the things that you're struggling with, it makes it so much easier to tolerate it. And so that's what I did. And in the end, I started sharing it with a few of my friends and they're like, man, you need to write this in a book. And I'm like, no, I don't. I just need to do it myself. Well, in the end, we ended up putting it in a book form and that's what happened. Yeah. And here you are four books later. Oh yeah. That's just because it wasn't important <laughs> enough to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, David, just thank you for sharing all of that and the story, you know, I think it's always important to know why you do what you do. And I think it helps people 
understand, like they can hear themselves in your story and be like, oh, I think David can help me. I think Project Healing Heroes can help me. You have a very interesting treatment strategy called the Resiliency Formation Training Series. Tell us about that. So the thing about it is, is I just actually started writing for something that we do called maketheconnection.org, a weekly webinar every Thursday night for people to get on and be able to just kind of hear some really good training and then be able to get into small groups and talk to each other about things that we go through. And in writing this week, one of the questions that I, I posed to our audience and to myself is, are we broken? Mm. And the question really is, you know, you hear the things like, you know, bend, but don't break. Right. Mm-hmm. But the question is, why did somebody have to write that? Well, mm. because probably some people were breaking. So the issue is, is that we've got to try to figure out how to help people. And so in that process, you know, we want to write things and help people in a way that they can hear it. And anything that we can do that's going to make a difference in their lives, that they can go, finally, somebody gets it. Somebody actually understands what's going on. That was my whole intent all along to deploy to a war zone so that I could be able to to relate to people as they go through everything. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. A couple of things jumped out at me and I realized what it was about the first thing he said about giving the presentation and having half the room in tears and half the room just like open mouth, wide eyed. That has been my experience as a military spouse. My husband's in an MOS that... I mean, he's not a Marine. He's not an infantryman. Like he's in the Navy. And so to go to Afghanistan was not, you know, most people are like, uh, so what ship is he going to be on? And we're like, it's landlocked. Um, He's not going to be on a boat. Like he's actually, you know, he put on an army uniform and deployed with an army unit because he was an IA. And then on top of that, the job he does is not one that sends a ton of people over there. And so we have this very odd green blue experience in the 14 years he's been in the Navy Mm -hmm. that quite frankly, not a lot of people understand. And he struggled with quite a bit coming back because he wasn't like he wasn't special warfare. So to come back and start to go through this very similar process that you described, you know, your wife waking you up in the middle of the night because she's on the floor. That has not quite been my experience, but we have had some similar evenings (laughs) where I wake up because, you know, things are happening and I'm like, hello, hello, like, wake up. Uh, This is weird. He had a hard time coming to terms with it because he was in a job that shouldn't, right? Like Mm -hmm. this wasn't something that, and so in sharing that story with our Navy counterparts has been really interesting because not a ton of people have that experience. And so, you know, I tried to put myself in the position of listening to you speak. And I was like, I'd probably be in the crying sector, not the shock (laughs) sector, you know, and I just, I also would be curious on your thoughts on like the term invisible wounds. I've actually, Mm. actually wrote a piece last year about my real hate of that, (laughs) um, that term, because for me and my family, those wounds have been anything but invisible. Sure. Like Mm -hmm. we can't see inside his brain, but like the anger, the not sleeping, the shortness, like there's literally nothing that's been invisible for us about the manifestation of a mild traumatic brain injury and PTSD. Mm. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting that you would say that you even use the word hate. I mean, it's, it's pretty strong, right? It's it's just like, I hate this. We haven't published it yet, but there's a commercial that I wrote and talked specifically about the invisible wounds of war. And what happens mm-hmm. is I like to make movies, short ones, and we're going to try to see if we can do that. And if 
God, Lord willing, we can find a sponsor. That'd be better. But I have two, four, <laughs> we have two 4K cameras and, and it's set up like this. I, I, my, when I deployed, my kids were five, no, four and three. Mm-hmm. And so they were pretty young. And so what I wanted to do was set up the scenario where the kids are off playing with bottle rockets and they're having a picnic and everybody's having a great time, except guess what happens? You know, when you put those things in and the bottle rockets take off, the guy literally like flashes back, you know, mm-hmm. to seeing the rockets and everything going mm-hmm. on. And everybody else is oblivious yeah. to what's going on, except his wife who reaches over and just touches his hand and looks at him, you know, and they, sorry, I get kind of teary eyed. And so it's kind of like one of those really incredible moving moments where it says, you know, basically that not everybody sees the invisible ones of war, but those of us that have been through it do. And so it's one of those things where people who live through it, get it. And sometimes all it takes is a glance to just say, I love you. I care, you know, and that's what makes all the difference in the world. So I don't know what your experience is like, but I will tell you that for those of us that have been through it and get it, they are very visible. All you have to do is look for them. I was just going to take a minute for Jenny Lynn. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, we need it. We can take a break for sure. And Jenny, <laughs> and Jenny, seriously, I'm so sorry. It can be so powerful. There is so much stuff that goes on. And by the way, at any point in time for you or Jen, if you guys want to get a hold of me or if, you know, if there's anything I can do, I want to be able to do it. But the aspect is if we can shift the narrative into healing heroes, I think it could do a tremendous good for our country and our society and literally our community. I just really believe that wholeheartedly. Oh yeah. My husband is a huge PTSG as in post-traumatic yeah. growth. That was a big, was that? I love that phrase. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I've also written articles about that because Matthew's like, can we please stop referring to it as PTSD? Like yeah. not yeah. because he, he has now come around to, oh yeah, that's a thing. And yes, yeah. I have that. And also he's done all the tree. I mean, we are sure we are on the other side of the healing. Like we have done the work. And so, yeah, he's like, can we talk about the growth? Right. If you look at the title of my book, the D is in parentheses. It's actually PTS. And we put the D on there just because I'm a clinical psychologist. But but Mm -hmm. we focus in, you know, there's so much more about post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. and not to minimize it because some people really do struggle with a lot of that. But I'm a strong believer in the growth aspects as well. And, you know, you asked about resiliency formation training, you know, in the very beginning. So I wanted to come up with something that actually showed that aspect of resilience and growth that we can go through. Yeah. You know, when I came back, my wife said, David, you have more issues than Time Magazine. And I was like, what? I'm like, come on, you got to be kidding me. And she's like, no, I'm serious. How do you take that? You know, so I realized very quickly, you know, that I was struggling. I was having the nightmares. I was having the flashbacks. I was having a lot of those things. I didn't really want to admit it. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to do any of that stuff because you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And smart. And, and Right. Yes. And, and, <laughs> oh. and the other thing I finally realized was there is something that happens inside of us. And maybe it's just me. But what it was is I, I asked myself, I'm already struggling with these issues. Why do I want to then turn around and tell my wife what I'm struggling with and have her have those thoughts in her head? Yeah. I wanted to go to war to pay the price so that the people I love didn't have to. They didn't have to think about those things or deal with them. So why would I do that? It just, in my mind, it didn't make any sense. Now, 
since that time, what I found out are two things. One, all it does is create anxiety and fear in the loved one because they have no idea what it is that's so bad that you don't want to tell them. Mm-hmm. And then their mind just races. And, and that can be a really traumatic thing in and of itself because you're just like, oh my God, what happened over there? What did you do? You know, all that. And then the mind just starts racing. And that's just a normal thing for people to have. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is that you miss out on the intimacy of a person who so cares about you and deeply loves you that they are willing to do whatever it takes to help you through it. And so I finally realized that for me, sharing things with my wife, not everything, but most of the things that I went through was incredibly therapeutic and helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I know not everybody has a wife who's a psychiatrist and who's trained <laughs> and empathetic, but for the fa- but the reality is most people who have somebody who loves them and cares about them, all they need is for somebody to listen and just be there. I ended up suffering before I left a spinal cord lesion inside my C2, C3. I lost almost everything from my chest down. Mm. And I ended up getting medevaced out after I actually completed my tour of duty because I wanted to finish what I started. And I was able to convince the general to let me stay, which was an amazing feat. It was a challenge, but I was able to successfully navigate that. I basically handed him, so I was being treated by the neurologist, the Navy neurologist there in, in theater. And so the good news was I didn't have to go anywhere for treatment. I was already there. But the problem is, is that when you're in theater, it takes time to get from Kandahar to Kabul to Lonstool to San Antonio, whatever. And if you do that, you may end up not being treated in that process. So my argument was, at least I'm being treated here in theater. And if I do that, you're going to stop my treatment. And he's like, well, I still don't think this is a good idea. Then I just handed him my phone, the phone that we use for comms. And he said, what's this? And I said, well, you have to call my wife. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. I said, if you're going to stop my treatment, you have to tell her. I'm not going to tell her. And he turns and looks at me and goes, so you want to stay? And I said, yes, I Mm. want to stay. And I want to finish what I started. And there is something very intense and passionate, I think, about military members who want to finish what we started. And that, by the way, is part of the reason why people want to end up going back, because Mm. they want to finish what they started. And when things are left unfinished, we don't like that very well. Mm -hmm. I loved how Jen, you pointed out, and he's smart. I know you saw me chuckle. Like that is the one thing that I would love to have a short conversation on because I, that for my family has honestly been one of the biggest barriers to care Mm. because we're both very intelligent. We both, you know, have master's degrees. We've both been in recovery for 13 years. Like we have all the tools. And so when this thing, this quote unquote, invisible thing, like (laughs) starts happening, you know, we should be better than that because we have read all the books and we have done all the things and we've talked to all the people. And so why, you know, I think normalizing it for anyone listening to this, that may be struggling with it and going, yeah, I read that book. Yeah. I've read that article. Yeah. Like, yes. And you are very intelligent to do so. And also that is very different than having someone that specializes in this help you work through it. Amen. I could not have said that any better. Fantastic job. I'm serious. And so, you know, the impetus of all of this, I'm sitting at the VA, I'm treating people. And honestly, it's an integrity issue because I literally sat there and I asked myself, how can I treat folks if I haven't been there? 
Now, I know that you don't want to have your oncologist having cancer. Okay, I get that argument, right? You know, because you're just like, no, not everybody has to experience everything that they're treating. But for me, I wanted to know exactly what it was like, what people go through. And it's still limited because the fact is I can't speak to everybody's history, background, what their trauma experience, whatever they've gone through, like everybody's different. And so I'm egocentric with that. I understand that you can't just, you know, speak on every topic. I don't even try. As a matter of fact, I minimize as much as I can. I'm like, look, I had one deployment. It was six months long. I did what I could do to make a difference. And I felt like I did some helpful good. And now it's time to move on in regards to being able to take information that I have in my brain and be able to share it with people. And because being a psychologist, sure, you can use groups, you know, maybe 10, 12 at max. I'm not interested in that. I want to be able to reach thousands of people. I want to be able to go through the process and help people to know that there are certain things that we go through that make perfect sense when you look at it. For example, In the military, on time is late, right? If you are on time, you are late. But when I come home and I'm, you know, in my reserve world, and now my wife says, hey, we have a party to go to at seven o'clock. Well, as a guy, on time late means we got to be there at no later than 645. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. We're going to be there at 715 or 730. And I'm like, no, on time is late. No, she's like, no, we're doing fashionably late. And I mean, (laughs) even the simplest things like that, you know, because- do not be late. You will not, under any circumstances, cause the general or anybody else to have to wait on you. And so even the simplest things that even when you're going to show up to a party can become a conflict, even though if it isn't even stated. And there are hundreds of those things. You know, we are trained in so many different things. And maybe I can just share with your listeners this one small thing that I've learned. You know, God tells us there's a season for everything, a season for war and a season for peace. You can't do both at the same time. It doesn't work. And so all of this training sometimes that we receive that we think is good training, we somehow think it's like the Boy Scouts. Oh, it's good for life. No, no, no. Some training is specific only for the military. If you try to use that kind of logic in your spouse or your family, you're going to find out really quick that's not going to work, right? Well, it worked for my troops. Why does it work for you? Oh, my goodness. Oh, don't even. (laughs) Right? Oh, boy, you're asking for it. (laughs) Exactly. But the thing is, is that we somehow get it in our head that all that training is good for us and it should carry over. No, it's specific. They train us in the military so that we can go to war and come home. It's not a manual on how to treat your family and how to win friends in life. That's not what it's for. But somehow we think that we carry it over and it's, you know, it's all good. Well, it's not all good. And so that's why I think we end up having conflicts because we simply apply principles that we shouldn't be applying. And you all talked about reframe. That's the other part of it. We have to reframe and figure out what it is the concepts were designed for and then use them in a different capacity. So there's a guy named John Boyd. He actually was a colonel at age 30. He was a pilot and he died. But he had created this really amazing concept called the OODA loop. Observe, orient, decide, and act. And so that principle really does well. And they've crossed that over into sports, into business, into all kinds of stuff. So what do you do? You observe, you take a look at what's going on, right? You observe, you orient yourself to the situation, you make a decision on what it is based on the best available information you have, and then you act on it. So that's something that you can use in life. It actually works very well. 
However, things like pain is weakness leaving the body. No, it's not. It's a nerve <laughs> where you are pushing on that nerve and it hurts like heck. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. You can say pain is weakness leaving the body, but probably uh, what it really funny. is, it's a heck of a lot of pain that's trying to tell your body something that if you keep doing this, you're probably going to cause some damage, right? But we buy into all this stuff, all of this training and everything. And yeah. again, you know, it's there for a reason. The military does an outstanding job of training us to win war and stay alive. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean it translates over into our personal life. Yeah. Uh, David, on that note, I feel like I can listen to you forever, but I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of good work to be done. So let us know, what could we do to help? Like, let us know some call to actions, give us some call to actions some takeaways in regards to Project Healing Heroes. If I could say anything to your audience, this is what it would be. There are people out here in the world that have been through some of the same things we have been through that care very much and care very deeply. And there are answers. And there Mm -hmm. are people who are willing to do whatever it takes to help you to be successful, Mm -hmm. period. And you need to find those people. Now, we can help you at Project Healing Heroes to the best of our ability. There's only me. And the fact is, we do have my wife, Catherine, who's a psychiatrist. We have, what was it, eight PhDs, three MDs. So we have a ton of resources and people. But the best thing to do is you can log on to projecthealingheroes.org and you can get free access to almost all of our stuff. Mm. And literally, there's a free video series that follows the workbook. If you can't afford the workbook, tell us and we'll send it to you for free. I'm, I'm mm. serious. We've already given away 3,500 of them. We ended up putting them on Amazon just because we wanted a wider audience to be able to get access to them. And that's worked out really well for us. But we also have this thing called maketheconnection.org that I spoke about. And that is our weekly meeting where we literally all get together. And one of us will train. We'll do, it's a peer-to-peer led program, but I will do some training. And the idea is about 10 to 15 minutes and that's it, Max, because people can't really handle much more than that. And you just say, look, here's the topic. This is what we're talking about. And then we break into small groups mm-hmm. and we have a facilitator and a shepherd that kind of lead that. And people seem to find that incredibly helpful and supportive. So if at any point you'd like to me to you know, tell, share any of the books with you, I'm more than happy to do it. But the four books, real quickly, the one is the workbook that helps you to work through some of the issues and challenges that many of us face when we come out of theater. The one I already spoke of, what happens in war doesn't stay in war. The third one is entitled On God and Trauma, Hope for Moral Injury and Survivor Guilt. And the reason why I wrote that one is because I wanted to write it from a spiritual perspective as well as a a military perspective, because so many people deal with a lot of moral injuries and survivor guilt, and Mm -hmm. they really, they don't even feel like they want to bring it up. Like my service wasn't that big of a deal. My brother was very much like that way in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, I came back alive. That's all I need to know. And and I was like, but, but Joe, there's a lot of issues and challenges that people face. He's like, look, as long as I came back, it didn't matter. And and so they really didn't want to have to deal with all that kind of stuff. But for folks who actually are having symptoms and challenges and they're like, man, I'm interested in doing something to make a difference. Pick up that workbook. And I I tell you, it's something that I think might help you in the process or the one about ungodly trauma. So those are just a few resources that people might be interested in. I mean, I'm sure they're going to be into one of them. (laughs) I mean, that's a ton of free resources. And if not, even to just reach out to you so that you can mail them a copy. I just think, you know, David, you have such a big heart and passion for what you do. And when sharing your story today, I understand why. And I just want to thank you. Like, thank you so much for being on our show and, you know, having this conversation with us today. 
You bet. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Thank Thank you so much. I appreciate your stories and sharing your experience with us. Oh, you bet. You bet. All right. And with that said, we hope that today's episode gave you one more piece of knowledge, resource, or relevant story so you can continue to make confident and informed decisions for you and your family. We look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time.